Hello everyone and welcome to Stuff TV. I'm your host, Nick Huzar, and I'm also the co-founder of OfferUp. And after watching billions of dollars of secondhand goods exchange hands, I found uh, I was really curious about my own existence and how I impact the planet. And I thought I could Google this and I found it <laughs> really interesting and a complex topic. And so what I started to do was create this channel and in interview really interesting thought leaders to help enlighten us. And with me today, I'm really excited to have Laura Wittig from Brightly.eco with us. And she has a really interesting company and she's also a fellow podcaster in climate. So Laura, thank you for being here today. And I'd love to hand it over to you just to, you know, give us a little, about, a little bit more about your background and, and how you got into this business. Yeah, absolutely. Well, thanks for having me, Nick. And <clears throat> I think that, you know, just being able to chat about this space with you is so cool. I mean, I'm sure your listeners know, I mean, OfferUp has done so much for the circular economy and it's just something that's, I, I find it very circuitous, <laughs> if you will, that you're There's working on this problem now. Um, so it's, it's really great to be here. Um, yeah, my name is Laura. Um, I'm the CEO and founder of Brightly. And um, the reason why I started Brightly was because I wanted there to be a place online to talk about all things conscious consumerism. Um, I kind of felt like folks who are looking to make a difference by voting with their dollars, that's kind of overdone right now, that, that term, but it's true. I mean, people who actually wanted to make a difference by changing lifestyle habits or sending their dollars to places that they actually cared about, um, what didn't exist online from the lens of conscious consumerism. I felt like there was a lot of stuff that was very like, um, almost like, you know, very vegan or very, um, pro environmental um, causes in different aspects, but not necessarily thinking about it from the lens of what everyday folks are doing and what they need to get done on a daily basis. Um, and really before I started Brightly, I had spent years in the tech industry myself. Um, I got my career started at Amazon. I was a product marketing manager. My whole job there was to sell as many shoes and handbags as I possibly could. Um, and I got really good at that job. I actually ended up becoming the most successful email marketer at the company at the time. I was like 21 years old. I was so excited. Um, one time I pissed off Jeff Bezos <laughs> in a good way, but that's a story for another time. Um, and I, I did it because I was just so, so amazed by the power of the internet and the power of the internet to fuel purchasing decisions. So being on the other side of that equation and being able to understand like why people were buying what they wanted to um, and, you know, going throughout that pattern was, was really, really exciting to me. Um, but one day I kind of took a look at my closet cause I was in fashion. So I had way too many things overflowing out of my closet that I wasn't wearing. Um, and then I also realized that I actually was having physical like allergic um, reaction type um, situation going on when I was sitting at my desk at Amazon because I was in front of the sample closet. So mm. I literally was like getting headaches from poorly made shoes and handbags <laughs> that I was wow. then selling on to people. So I just thought to myself, what in the world is going on? Um, I've always been interested in more organic or, you know, less toxic type products. My, I like back when Whole Foods first started up, it started up in Austin. I went to school, University of Texas at Austin. I was like hanging out at that, that massive Whole Foods all the time. Um, always really been interested in the space, but never really felt like I belonged. Um, and so that's really what drove me to start Brightly um, and really start the podcast that really founded the company, which is called Good Together. Um, and we just, we, you know, it's funny, we, 
from a brightly and a good together perspective, we like to focus on, you know, things that are going to impact people on a daily basis, but we also don't shy away from, you know, larger topics that are coming up in the news around eco-friendly living or, you know, climate change and wildfires and things of that nature. We, because we understand that like by doing small uh, lifestyle changes every single day, you actually can make a huge difference. Um, and so all of these things have a butterfly effect, if you will. Yeah. Well, one of the, th a few things that you said, I, I find interesting and I've done, you know, a number of these podcasts already and there's kind of a trend I've been seeing people that were working in e-commerce jumping into this, like, like that's me. Right. Yep. Now, luckily, I was more uh, secondhand, but I've seen a number of people that were in the fashion space that are now working on sustainability. It's probably yep. because they've had a front row seat and they're looking at the scale of this challenge. Um, and so I think that's, you know, intriguing. And it sounds like that's kind of a similar journey you had, you know, being an Absolutely. Well, I mean, the whole system of like fast fashion and just actually fashion in general is so broken. I mean, really, I would like I, I'd argue physical product production is so broken, right? Like. Yeah. Companies have to guess what people want six months ahead of time. You know, it's it's the whole thing is so broken. So when I hear about people making steps to, you know, galvanize the pre-order system or, you know, cutting back um, inventory or, you know, using circular economy type situations for fashion and just, you know, production in general, I find it really interesting because it's with all the technology we have today, it's amazing to me that we still operate that way, both from yeah. a planet focused perspective, but then also a, um, I mean, it's saved people money. It's saved companies money if they yeah. figure it out. <laughs> yeah. Well, I do think, you know, I mean, get into the future maybe in, in a few minutes, but I, I think there's a lot of interesting trends that, that, and, and, and systems and infrastructure that have just been around for decades. And now with data and time, I think people are now waking up that, oh, we can do things differently in a more sustainable yep. way. And so, you know, one of the things, uh, you know, that could be really interesting is just rewinding the tape to like, what was the biggest pivotal change in our history that led to this? And it really yep. was the fifties. Absolutely. The 1950s changed a lot of things for people and the society that we really love, like, you know, click and things get shipped to you from all over the world, these cheap products. It's pretty dang cool. It's pretty amazing, but there's a downside to this. And I think, now we can see it out the window. Like if you look last week, we had the three hottest days in the history of our globe ever. Yep. Uh, and you could say, oh, well, some people, oh, so these, these trends are occurring. Like this is beyond a trend. This is something that is a result of a, a series of things that I think humans have done to impact the sphere that we're floating around on. And, you know, in the fifties, what happened for the first time is we got out of the cities and we moved into suburbs and we bought bigger houses and we had more kids. And we had more space. We filled those houses with things. Uh, you know, then we bought cars, right? And then credit came around. So that yeah. thing that you wanted, you didn't have to wait anymore. You just use your credit card. Um, you know, and then I think by the 60s, we finally had um, mass plastics, right? We could really store things longer too. Convenience, um, and then, right? You know, of like that's where I feel like that got really, you know, that convenience factor is what really pushed people forward, right? It was like, you know, oh, I don't have time, you know, I don't have time to deal with this. I'm just going to throw it away. And obviously plastics really kickstarted that. But I think about that a lot too today, where even the best of us, where we, you know, are, you know, well, the best of us, the ones that are trying the most, maybe, <laughs> I don't think any of us can say that we're the best, but maybe the ones that uh, are kept up awake at night by a lot of this, like, 
a lot of times I don't have time to, or the convenience factor to bring my refillable silicone uh, squeeze pouches with my toddler's food in them, right? Sometimes I have to use the ones that I throw away. And so inconvenience is oftentimes like the kind of dark shadowy figure when we think about why we've gotten so addicted to plastics and like this like throwaway culture, right? But then credit, you're, you're totally right, that the whole the whole timeline is fascinating. <laughs> yeah, you, it's, got, it's the layering effect, right? It wasn't yeah. even one thing. Yeah. It was all of these things. And then you had globalization and then you have the amazing Amazons of the world, right? It's, it's easier to get an item delivered to you from China than it is down the street now. That's Absolutely. just where we are. And yeah. we will ship 100, I think it's over like 150 billion packages a year now around the world. Yeah. And it's not so much the transportation byproduct. In fact, that's a subset of the CO2 impact, but the packaging, the packaging is probably one of the number one contributors to, to waste in that, in that process. Yeah. And so, you know, like I said, there's a lot of good things that came out of this, but you know, I, th I think it's time and hopefully people are more educated now to just kind of wake up and say, oh, can we rethink some of these systems that we've had around for decades? Yeah, absolutely. And I think the more that we, again, take the lens of the consumer um, when we think about trying to solve these massive problems such as climate change, the more people can feel empowered. Like it can feel very, we talk a lot about climate anxiety over at Brightly because so many of us like get started by thinking, oh my gosh, the world is on fire. I need to get, you know, I need to just get up and take action. And then once we realize that, okay, maybe me, myself, I'm not going to be able to have a, the, the biggest impact ever, like immediately, <laughs> we start yeah. to have anxiety about it. And we start to realize like, what am I going to do with myself? And so you're right. Like when we, we, we take a step back and think about things about, you know, from a daily habit change perspective, I think it can be so impactful. Um, and, you know, making sure that we're not like losing sight of what we can control. That's why we talk a lot about that um, as well. Like when we think about governments and corporations and things of that nature, obviously those folks can have the biggest, most outsized impact. Like we all agree on that. Um, whether or not they listen to us as consumers is another thing. And when we think about, you know, in influencing public policy or, you know, voting and all those types of things, of course, like being a good, you know, citizen and doing your civic duty is, is very important to helping solve, you know, the, the problem of global, global warming, et cetera. But when we think about corporations, we can't all just go chain ourselves to, you know, the Chase banks of the world because yeah. we don't like their investment into fossil fuels. Um, you know, it's we have to think about how we can get the attention of the big folks. And in my opinion, um, you can really think back to your purchasing uh, behavior and, and, and telling them, look, I used to be somebody who bought a ton of Ziploc bags. Um, and you know this because they all have fascinating amounts of data on us, whether or not we like that or not, they do. <laughs> so you know that I used to buy a ton of Ziploc bags. All of a sudden I haven't bought any in five years, you know, like what happened? And then they start to dig into it. Um, and actually a lot of people don't know SC Johnson and company, one of the biggest, you know, uh, consumer good conglomerates out there. They bought Stasher bag along, uh, you know, a few years back, which most folks don't know. And when they do find that out, sometimes people get angry about it because they, they see, that large corporation is, you know, a bad actor. But I, I choose to look at it a slightly different way, thinking about like, well, maybe they were identifying a trend that they wanted to, you know, obviously profit from, but they also wanted to start to just put their ear to the ground a little bit more and listen mm -hmm. um, and actually 
they literally just released their own version of a stasher bag by Ziploc that I saw at Target the other day, which is kind of cool. So, I mean, they're eating their own lunch, I suppose. <laughs> their own uh, prepackaged lunch in a Ziploc. <laughs> yeah, one of the things I know you, you focus a lot, you know, uh, with Brightly is just kind of education. And I think when you think of climate, everything, it, it is a very complex topic. I mean, I'm spending a lot of my time on it and I, you know, it's, but it's just, you know, you have 8 billion people on the planet. And, yeah. you know, they have a long history that, that got us here. But I know one of the things you like to focus on is just education and like maybe maybe just elaborate on that. Like, what's your approach to that? How do you, you know, do people go to your website? Do you have a newsletter? Like, how are you helping people to understand, you know, what's what out there? And so maybe this is because I spent some time at Google for a long time and I was actually on search. So I became like, again, obsessed with like how people were finding information online. But I always like to start with what are people searching for? Like what questions can we help them answer? And I think most of the time, the questions that seem to stick in our heads the most are the ones that are directly impacting our lives. So maybe you're curious about like, well, why is the climate warmed a few degrees every year? Like maybe you think about that in a more like esoteric fashion, but I can guarantee you, you're going to Google like, do I need to install AC at my home now in Seattle? Like that's like a, you know, a related, but more like impactful question that you're going to have. You're, you're, you're seeking out information for. So my team and I, we think a lot about the different aspects of, um, you know, of our lives that can be impactful when we think about like reducing consumption or just changing consumption. So we mostly focus on food and kitchen, um, you know, home, transportation, um, kind of things all in your general bubble that you can control. Um, and we think a lot about these questions. So, you know, I, the other day I was like, going to my team, I was like, wait a second, here's a question I just had. If you throw away a compostable bag inside a plastic bag of trash, what happens? Does it think like what, you know, it's if just that trash bag, now. that's right. But you know, like most people would probably think, oh, well, it's, it's compostable, you know, who cares? But it's like, no, I mean, I think a lot of people think that, you know, our bags of trash get unbagged, which is totally not true, you right? Know, on, like, on this topic, something my wife just brought up and she did not know this. And she said, you should start to talk about this on your podcast. She thought that if you didn't know, uh, she thought all the food waste, if you put it in the trash, it biodegrades. I said, that makes no sense to me. Think about yeah. it. You, you know, you, you, you've you got layers and layers of plastic. So what if your biodegradable sits on the plastic? I said, it's yeah. not going in the compost. And then I talked to somebody else the other day and they thought the same thing. Yeah. They said, if I don't compost, I throw it in the trash. It's just going to decompose. Oh, no, no way. No. It's sitting on a layer of plastic the yeah. entire time. And so yeah. maybe that is a big myth that, that people just need to understand better. And I'm sure they have good intentions, but you cannot throw your compost stuff in the trash. No, and I think we, we, we talk a lot about myth busting just in that same realm where you, and a lot of people, especially folks that are kind of more loud and, you know, maybe designed to try and rile people up more than <laughs> educate, like they like to use the term greenwashing a lot and et cetera, et cetera. Like, I don't use that term too much just because I think most of the time greenwashing comes from a lack of understanding for yeah. the consumer. So like, yes, sometimes there are bad actors out there who are trying to make a product that is not very eco-friendly, seem more eco-friendly, sure. That is a traditional greenwashing. I actually don't think it goes on as much as people think. I think mostly what happens is this like well-meaning intention that gets turned into like actually nothing because you don't actually know how it works. 
Um, and the education piece, like we were talking about, really comes back into it. I mean, the one of the most interesting conversations I've ever had on the podcast was I talked with a gentleman who his family was literally multi-generational. He called them, they had a term for it, but like basically rag sifters. Like they, starting the Great Depression, they went through and found discarded clothing they would upcycle things. They would, you know, resell things. And this was like his family lineage. Um, and so as this gentleman continued to go down his path of, of life, he thought, well, nobody knows where your clothes actually go. Like nobody, you know, everybody thinks you donate them to Goodwill and somebody magically wears your shirt again. <laughs> and he's like, absolutely not. Like, unfortunately, this really doesn't happen. Um, and I think more and more we've seen you know, videos or photos of people in countries less fortunate than ours, where they're like literally standing on tops of mountains of clothing that like we've just decided to ship to them without their permission. <laughs> so like there's a graveyard of clothing that exists overseas. Um, and, you know, I would just say a good rule of thumb when we think about anything related to recycling or compostable things or whatever, like it's probably not going to end up down the happy path that you think it's going to and that we don't mean to scare you <laughs> or cause more climate anxiety with you but just like just taking a step back and being curious because that's we talk so much about that word too like just being curious and thinking yeah. hmm, maybe that's not really what happens Where instead of just that, that's my that's my topic this week i interviewed republic services which is one of the largest waste disposal companies in the country oh cool and that's a big topic was where does all this stuff go I've been so curious, right? And I think a lot of people feel, even the recycling bin, oh, it's all getting recycled. No, it's not. And that's a big challenge that we have as a society is the amount of trash that we produce. Like in our lifetimes in the US, we'll produce 128,000 pounds of trash per person. So you think about that and go, oh, well, the vast majority of that doesn't even end up being reused, but there's a lot of value in the waste stream. And so oh, that's my hope. Is. My hope right now is especially with AI and tools and where we can sort things and do things faster. Can we start to take that waste stream and continue to get more value out of it? And I think, um, you know, a lot of these waste management companies are clearly motivated because they can profit from that. And that's fine. If we can start to do more things locally, I think that is really the, the key to more sustainable future. Absolutely. Why are we shipping I mean, plastics around the world, you know? Yeah, no, we don't need to be doing, yeah, you're right. Some of these like massive processes don't need to happen on a global scale. Like we absolutely need to bring things back locally, but I mean, I think speaking of bringing things back locally, I think that one of the best ways to teach people about like where your stuff actually goes is to get them involved in an offer up or a buy nothing or a circular kind like peer to peer sharing type um, community. Because number one, you can see this is the thing that I always find really interesting is you can see what other people think is valuable. Yeah. <laughs> you know, they might list something that you're like, excuse me, and they want yeah. like 50 bucks or something for it. And we're like, nobody's going to pay you $50 for it. As a matter of fact, like yeah. you should pay them $50 to come remove this from your property. Right. Yeah. Cause that's how much it would cost for, for, you know, the dump to come do it. But I also think it's interesting to, yeah, instead of saying in a happy world, I'm going to donate this to my, you know, I have a, a child, like she grows out of clothing all the time. Instead of me just thinking on a happy path, Oh, I'm going to donate these clothes and maybe they'll end up, um, you know, on another kid that needs them. Like, I can go to my buy nothing group and say, Hey, look, I have a whole set of size 18 to 24 month old clothing. Um, who wants it? And like, 
many people will say, yes, I want it most yeah. of the time. And so I love that because then you're like, okay, I actually see this item getting reused. Yeah. Um, and there's also just like a fun community aspect to that as well. Like there's things that get passed around, like play sets and things. There's a play set yeah. in our, um, not, we haven't used it yet, but Especially the <laughs> there's little a play set stuff. in our neighborhood that's like the communal one. <laughs> it just keeps getting, oh, oh, that's my old play set. You're the fifth yeah. owner now. Yeah. Yeah. Same with bikes. Uh, my kids, we bought every, all my kids' bikes are on offer up. And I swear by the time they were eight, they, they were on like their third bike each. There you so, go. Or, you know, a lot of these things, like your kids will all grow up so fast. I why know. Are you, why are you buying them new? It doesn't make any sense. No, we, we don't need any more of those. <laughs> no. Well, maybe since we're talking about products, let's also talk about, you know, on your website, you have a bunch, really bunch, a bunch of interesting products. And I know in the last year or so, we've been adopting more and more sustainable products, um, which are kind of interesting. Um, one of the ones, especially with kids, I think is interesting is these little reusable rags. Yeah. Um, how many towels do you go through? You know, once, once we started having kids, I'm like, man, I should have invested in Brawny or all these, you know, these big yep. companies that owned all this. Cause you go through so much paper towels. So and many. Then, and actually one of yeah. those replaces 17 rolls of paper towels, which is so cool. And I love these cause they just wipe the counters. You know, yep. we still have paper towels, but now we use them way less cause we use yep. this for some of the basic stuff. And I think yeah, you have so these on love, your website and stuff like this. Absolutely. No, we, we love those types of products. And so, we were brightly does two things when it comes to products first of all we understand that like yes when we talk about being a conscious consumer we have to talk about products like unfortunately some people are like that seems so counterintuitive you're talking about like getting people to reduce consumption etc and of course we want people to reduce things but sometimes in order to reduce things you do need to have an alternative um we also recognize that as consumers we are buying things constantly so we might as well figure out better ways to do it so yes, we love Swedish dishcloths, which you have. Those are amazing. Play 17 rolls of paper towels. One of our products takes it a step further. Um, it's called a wish cloth. So it's a Swedish dishcloth, but it's a greeting card. So instead of sending somebody a greeting card over Christmas that they might display for a little bit and then eventually it gets recycled, which mm, if it's printed and all these things, it may or may not end up where you think it does, that, where it goes. But um, you can just use it as a Swedish dishcloth. Um, that. That's by the way, that's how we got into these. Somebody had sent me a greeting card and I thought it was interesting. And then we started now, then we ended up buying more of these. That's awesome. Yeah, no, they, they work so well. And it's one of those things that just ends up being just a really cool swap. Um, and then I actually, so I brought a few things. So we also, in addition to having the Swedish dish cloth, which I think is really good for like wet messes and like you wet them and you kind of yeah. wipe things down. We actually do this thing where we also have, they're called, paperless towels. So they're, I mean, it's just like old school. Think about what your grandma did. We always say your grandma was probably way more sustainable than you were. <laughs> My grandma was a little too extreme. She would take, you'd go in her, in her fridge and she would reuse the same, you know, tin foil and like saran wrap multiple times. And it was gross. And I said, okay, you've gone way too far. Yeah. That's she too grew much. Up during the great depression, right? So yeah. you don't waste anything. But yeah, that's so there was, true. It's there was so food true. in her fridge from like when I was born. It was yeah, so you're gross. like, <laughs> yeah, but you're right. I mean, I think that mentality bred a lot of invention and also just a love for not wanting to waste things. Yeah. And so, yeah, it's like these are literally what they would have as a handkerchief back in the day. I mean, it's a, fl a cotton flannel square. Um, we sell a set of these and these I use to wipe up stuff as well. So like Swedish dishcloth sometimes doesn't work for like a runny nose. So I just yeah. grab one of those. 
Um, and then we have these like uh, washable paper bins that they go in. So I just write like clean or dirty on them. And then there we go. So we have a little system in our house and everyone, like my mom, like people that are not from the great depression era, right? Like more boomers, like they are the, you know, ones that grew up in this convenience cycle. Yeah. And so my mom was kind of like, really? Like, this seems kind of gross. Like, don't you want to just throw things away when you're done? And she like came over to visit for a few weeks and was like, oh, I, I need a set like this. Like, it's just easy when you're, when they're dirty, you throw them in the wash. Like, yeah. ooh. <laughs> it's not that bad. But back to convenience. You know, the yeah. other, the other things back to the wash, I like these ball, these, uh, oh, dry yeah. balls. So we use these, so we don't use any of those. And you just, it, we just, they're just like right next to the dryer. We throw them in. We don't use any of the, uh, the old sheets anymore. And these sheets, work, fabric these softener. Yeah. You don't need it. We had a guest on the podcast that his name is escaping me, but we'll include in the show notes when we go back and do the research on this one. He had a TikTok video go viral because he held up two squares of fabric, one fabric piece of fabric that, um, had fabric softener on it and had been washed multiple times with fabric softener. The other one never had. And the one fabric softener immediately lit up in flames because fabric softener is extremely flammable. Mm. Um, and that went viral on TikTok because obviously that's very shocking. And most people like don't understand this. And again, Brightly certainly is not in the business of trying to shock people into um, being sustainable. But I think it's important for people to understand that like, yes, of course, there's going to be other concerns when you go into utilizing these types of additives into your home. Um, yeah. But there's in addition to wanting to maybe avoid that type of stuff. You also, even if you never saw that video and you didn't care, you could still use dryer balls as a way to yeah, fluff your clothing up and, and not need to spend money on dryer sheets. Yeah. Go, going back to the, I think it's back to sustainability. Is it convenient or is it more expensive, right? If you could do it for the yeah. same or cheaper, I was promoting these guys. And by the way, I'm not, they don't pay me to do this. I just think it's a cool product. So my wife got into this company, Drops. You, you guys mm -hmm. We love Drops, yeah. I love this company. Yeah. Because it comes in a cardboard box. And yep. instead of the big, gigantic Tide box, you just got this little box. And inside, you know, instead of filling all that soap in there, you just have these teeny pods, these teeny yep. little things. And so it's just, you know, so now we're, we are hooked on these. And we're just going to keep doing that instead of yeah. all that plastic waste. And, um, and the amount of chemicals. Like, this is such a small amount of uh, chemical that it and, it and it cleans just fine. Yeah, exactly. No, and, and, and most of the time, that's the other thing too. Like when we evaluate products, whether we're selling them on Brightly or we're recommending them for purchase elsewhere, we think a lot about what the actual impact is to the planet, whether or not it works, because I think that's a huge, like you just mentioned, hey, it works just as well. We've all tried the more eco-friendly alternative that didn't work. And we're yeah. just like, oh, screw it. And we go back to using whatever we were using. Yeah. And there's only so many of those um, interactions a person can take, especially if they're like new to the space before they're just like, this forget is a bunch it. of baloney. Yeah, it doesn't it. matter. <laughs> <laughs> so we think a lot about like whether or not it actually works. Um, and then uh, price, because, you know, I mean, look, we're, we're in a situation right now where many Americans are unemployed. Everybody's got, you know, finances on the mind. Um, and, you know, in many cases, Sometimes these things seem like they're very expensive compared to a roll of paper towels, but over time they save yeah. you a ton of money. Um, we, you were talking about your, your grandma reusing saran wrap and things. We have these things called reusable bowl covers that yes. we saw brightly. And I'm obsessed with them because they are, I'm just going to unfold them. They are literally, we have them reuse, uh, 
reversible, which is kind of fun, but it's literally just this, um, this is made out of recycled water, uh, plastic water bottles, which is cool. This uh, polyester uh, material, but all you do is you take the, the you know, circular um, situation, put it on top of a bowl, and then you pull the drawstring oh, cool. cover. We had the, um, the wax so, ones. Have you seen those? You just pull them over. Yes. Yeah. So there's so many different versions of yeah. it, but it, it they work so well. I mean, the only downside I think to any of this is you have to be pretty organized because you might forget what's under there because <laughs> well, you can't see it. Well, and also back to your point, you look at the cost and you're like, oh, wow, that thing is so much more expensive than the saran wrap. But then you have to look at the useful life of it. And then you realize like, oh, wait a minute, you know, like this, we've had this thing for, I don't know, a year. Yeah, still going. And so I think that's the thing just to be conscious of. Yes, you're paying more up front, but you're going to reuse. You're going to one, you're going to have it much longer Two, you're going to actually make more of an impact. Yep. Yeah. And I mean, uh, my thing with Saran Wrap is I always think about with any single use plastic. I always like I'm a bleeding heart. I, I love animals. I love nature. I just think about those like sad videos of seeing animals in nature that are like wrapped up in plastic or they have a straw up their nose or things like that. Like it's just it's unfortunate because obviously nobody means for those things to end up where they do, but there's so many, like we talked about, once you throw something in your trash can, there are so many ways that that stuff gets disposed of. There's so many opportunities for stuff to break open and get introduced into the ecosystem um, in ways that weren't originally intended. And so the best, the best advice that I have is just to try to prevent it from getting into the waste stream period, um, by yeah. using some of these well, things. One of those back to some of the impacts to nature. I, I often tell people that feel like it's too insurmountable, this problem. And I try to make it simple. I say, look, if you do two things, you, uh, you can impact 25% of the plastics in our ocean. Number one, reusable water bottles. Number two, and you sell these on your website, reusable grocery bags. Yeah. And the tip I give people is put it in the door, put it in your door of your car, not in the trunk. Because if you're in the trunk, you always end up in there and you're yep. like, oh, dang it. Where, where did it, where's my bag? And so get, use those bags because that, that, yep. those plastic bags and those water bottles, that's what's floating. That's a quarter of what is floating around our oceans. And those yep. are the things that are impacting wildlife. We're eating those, by the way, because our fish are eating them. In I fact, know. we consume about a credit card worth of plastic every single year from the food we're eating because our food is eating our plastic waste. So, you know, it's a big, gigantic ecosystem that sometimes, to your point, I think people often forget. Well, in the, in the example of fish too, right? Like a lot of us like to eat fish and for the longest time, what was mostly available to us was farm raised, you know, or at least from an affordability perspective. Obviously there's been more resurgence of people, you know, getting back to the old school ways of fishing and, you know, lion caught and all that stuff, but in making it more affordable, right? Obviously that's always been around, but maybe less affordable in recent years, but coming back up, but see, even so, if you're like, okay, I don't want to eat farm raised because I don't like those conditions. I don't necessarily like, you know, all the things involved there. I'm going to do, you know, wild caught. Well, I mean, there's still just going to get exposed plastics that way too. So it's like kind of just yeah, <laughs> just it gets a little bit. That's where your climate anxiety starts to kick in, right? Yeah. Well, if you think about uh, maybe one other thing around products that would be interesting is, you know, helping people to understand that in, in investment, because I, I do think if it's, oh, really cool, I want to be more sustainable, but that thing's 10 times the price or five times the price. Like, how do you think about the products you sell? How do you are there scenarios where you're like it's the same? price you know, yeah. or there's scenarios where 
you know, part of the education is, Hey, you're going to pay a little bit more upfront, but you're going to have yeah. a better lifetime value with that product. Absolutely. I mean, there are so many, one of the reasons I love that Brightly has, in addition to our store, we have our content and everything kind of sits in a really nice um, ecosystem is because there are so many gray areas. I mean, I remember one time we worked with a company called Thistle, um, which does plant, um, plant based meal delivery. Um, and they reached out to us because they wanted a partnership, which Brightly does partner with some brands, but we always do authentic reviews. So it's like, look, maybe we partner with you and you get an extra shout out on TikTok, but we're still going to give you an authentic review. Yeah. Um, and I loved, I'm, I grew up in Texas. My family eats meat. I certainly have cut my meat down some, um, my meat consumption. Um, but I love those salads. My barbecuing husband loved those salads. And when we posted about thistle on Brightly's TikTok, people roasted us because it was coming in plastic containers. Um, and we actually already talked to the founders. They were testing, um, you know, sending out stuff in glass containers. Um, but that's like a huge supply chain thing where they've got to like get the containers back or, you know, it, it was like a bigger problem. But I was like, God, you, like, let's not, let's not lose sight of what we're trying to do, which is talk more about plant-based eating, which for many people is a really difficult thing to do. Yeah. Um, both in terms of, you know, making it taste good, making it accessible to your family. Like there's so many layers there. Um, and the same thing goes with products. Like you can have a product, maybe there's two that are almost exactly the same, but maybe one slightly wins out because of packaging. Or a lot of times you end up with, you know, especially in today's, you know, um, culture where we've got more and more of these brands popping up, which I love. A lot of times it just comes down to personal preference. Like, what, what type of packaging do you prefer? Because this one's got cardboard and this one's recyclable aluminum. Um, what type of scent do you prefer um, if we're talking about home related stuff? So we like to give people options. Um, and actually that's one thing that we're working on, um, you know, and we'll be out by the end of this year was we're gonna start to put even more stuff on our site. Right now we have a relatively limited selection because for the longest time we thought, okay, we only can pick the best and that's all, that's what we're gonna do. But we, to your point, found it to be a little bit limiting. So we're going to think yeah. about, well, let's like show a variety of options and maybe rank them or maybe just say, here's like good, better, best or something of that nature. But I think it makes a lot of sense because what is accessible to one person in terms of price or, you know, methodology, et cetera, is certainly not the same to another person. So it's very choose your own adventure. Yeah. Well, as you look. You know, I know we're kind of almost at time, but as you, if you look out in the next uh, five to 10 years and your crystal ball, you, you know, what excites you either with your own company or just kind of some of the challenges in climate in general. And, you know, I, I'm generally an optimist, uh, but I, you know, what, how do you think about the world in the next five to 10 years? Yeah, I, I would totally say I'm an optimist as well. I think when I, when I think about what excites me, people, we ask, we do a similar question with, with our guests and people tend to talk a lot about the awareness. Like, oh, it seems like more and more people are aware of the problem. And I've heard maybe people in my ecosystem that didn't used to care about this situation in this space are starting to talk about it. And I think the increased awareness is good. Where I'm looking forward to seeing more happen is from the action perspective. So like, are you actually going to commit to doing a meatless Monday, even if you're like the biggest barbecue family ever, like, what are you going to do about that? Right. Or do you guys do that coming from Texas? 
I'm sorry. And I was gonna say, do you does your family do that coming from Texas? Your husband's the barbecue guy. So yeah, it's, yeah. It's no, be a so rough we, day we for do him, it probably. here. We we do it a little bit here. I don't. My my mom certainly certainly in the summer. My mom's always been so obsessed with like summer vegetables and stuff. So she she grew up um, doing that with us. But yeah, my stepdad. I'm like, oh, that guy's so so barbecue heavy. But you know, that's kind of what I want to see. I want to see people not feel like they're forced to do that, but get excited about it. Like, yeah. oh my God, I just made this amazing, the viral TikTok feta pasta. That to me is like the number one gateway meatless meal. <laughs> it's so easy to tell to my wife, she's the cook in the family. I'm, I'm the eater, but yeah. It's so her. good. Just say, look, go, go find that TikTok feta pasta recipe. It's so good. You need like three things. It's amazing. You don't miss the meat. And so I want people like get excited about that kind of stuff. Like, give give each other high fives in the house when you realize hey we like used up all of our food this week we didn't throw a bunch in our you know in our landfill comp it's biodegradable yeah. land, but we didn't throw a bunch in the landfill um or we didn't throw a bunch in our compost bin um so yeah i, I want the action i'm excited for the action <laughs> yeah yeah and i think hopefully with content like this and your podcast and things you're doing that people are just aware and then they can act but no one's going to exactly. act. No one's going to act just because, right? I think people need to start to understand the impacts of things like this. But uh, um, thank you so much for your time, and I think for people that are curious, they can go to your website, right? Just brightly eco. Yeah, brightly eco, and you can find us on all the channels with that username. Um, but really, have enjoyed um, being on the the podcast slash show now, Nick. It's so exciting. <laughs> Well, it's early days, so I've got, I've yeah. got a long road ahead, but I've been enjoying chatting with guests like yourself. And thank you so much for being here. Appreciate the time. Awesome. Thank you.